Church. Thanks for listening in. We exist as a church to connect people to the heart of God and to a family within the church. And we believe that Jesus is the way. We hope this message blesses you and gives you hope today. Good morning. Y'all doing well? You look good. Fitz was right. Y'all have that afterglow of a victory. I can feel it. Um, Well, welcome to church. Uh, If you're new here, don't leave me yet. Don't go away yet. You know, we got a long scripture to read. We got to keep it spiritual here in a second. Um, Asia's going to read it for us. Um, If you're new here, my name is Bronson. Uh, I'm one of the pastors and one of the leaders here. And uh, I just love church. I I love being in church. You know, every week uh, for me, I think sometimes people just forget. I just don't want you to forget that every one of us in here need it. You know, like every one of us in here need to get around other believers to get encouraged and to hear the word and uh, to get filled up, right? Because the, the function of the weekend gathering is to fill you up, right? It's to encourage you. It's to get you going forward so that you can go out and do the great things that God's planned for you to do. Amen. Uh, I believe that God has called you guys to do things and to go into spaces as individuals. We could never go as a group and to bring God's grace and God's glory. And this morning, what we're going to see is a story about someone who did that. Um, But before we get there, I got a photo for you, Uh, something that that we've been doing here on Wednesdays. Uh, These are the men of our church. This is a good place to give the Lord a hand. Um, We've had about 40 or 50 guys the first two weeks come out to pray. Uh, which you may not know this, when you're coaching people on how to build men's ministry, you don't start a prayer ministry, right? Because men don't want to pray. We want to go and we want to do things. But, But here's my conviction is that it's through prayer we become the men that God's called us to be. Um, It's through connecting with God personally, through consistent spiritual practices. These are the things, men, that we're working on. Is every man, I'm telling you, you can take this to the bank. Every person I've met, I'll say person, who has a deep relationship with Christ. You know when you get around that person and you're like, this person's like for real. You know what I'm talking about? You get around those people. I I ask, but I always know the answer before I ask. I, I don't ask do you have spiritual practices? I ask, what are your consistent spiritual practices? What are the things that you do daily? And so what we want to do is, men, y'all listen, men, the, the world does not need more intelligent men. We have plenty of those, all right? We don't need more smart men. We have plenty of those. And look at the situation we're in. We need deep men. We need men of prayer. And so I want to invite you out every Wednesday morning. We have coffee ready about 5.50. And we come together and we pray. Right now we're learning how to have quiet time, how to pray. And then we're starting to pray together. And so we're going to build on this. So I want to invite you guys out. Come out and pray with us. Uh, But right now we're in a series. What series are we in? Who knows it? Acts, right. We are studying the nature of the early church. What moved them from being a ragtag group of marginalized people to being the most powerful movement the world has ever seen. That's the question we're asking. This is what we're studying together. And as we do that, we have to ask ourselves the question, what made them powerful, right? We're going to review here in a second, but I want to give you this. The message of the book of Acts, if you're taking notes, the message of the book of Acts is that God has filled his people with his spirit and has sent us out as his ambassadors to every corner of the earth to spread his message of the kingdom for the redemption and the renewal of a world he so desperately loves. This is the message of the book of Acts. So the first four weeks, we got a little out of order. 
uh, wherever my type A OCD people are, you've noticed that, but we're getting back in line here. And so the first week we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit empower us to do? It empowers us to be God's witnesses, right? And so the first miracle, if you missed it, when the Holy Spirit came, was that people spoke in languages they were unable to speak, right? The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit empowered people to do something they could never do on their own so they could reach people far from God, amen? The next week we talked about how God, through his glory and his grace, he calls us to be around tables. I heard an illustration uh, here recently I wanna give you guys. Um, there's a church I know, and, and we'll probably do this in the future, where every time there's tension in the community, they clear their sanctuary, they bring in tables, they talk about the issue, and they take communion at the end. Why? We're united by the blood of the Lamb and by the work of Christ. And so we talked about that. Uh, Dwayne came in, and Dwayne kind of built on that idea and helped us see that it's through those relationships that we have the power to do the things God's called us to do. And last week, who was here last week? What, what did we talk about? Yell it out. Persecution, right? So there's a quote. I'm going to give you the full quote last week. But if the, if the main character of the first two chapters of Acts is the Holy Spirit, the main character of three through seven is probably Satan, which is, is kind of a strange thing to think. But if you go in and look, what's happening is, is it's almost like this hippie movement, right? The early church. It's like this beautiful hippie movement where they're loving each other, they're sharing everything. But every time God starts doing something good, the enemy starts working against it. And so that's what we see starting in chapter three and it starts through jealousy. And so we're gonna look at some of that this morning. But what we wanna do is we wanna understand the essence of what gave this community power. Everybody say power. It isn't the way that they're in community, although that's one thing. It's not just the way they respond to persecution, although that's another. It's not just their mission. It's what they believed about Jesus, and it's their utter dependent on the Spirit of Christ. That's the power of the gospel. And so today we're going to look at the first apostolic miracle. Uh, an apostle is a delegate, a messenger, or one sent forth with orders. I love that. An apostle, if you're wondering what it is, it's a delegate, a messenger, or one sent forth with orders. And so this is the first of 14 miracles in the book of Acts. And so here's my thesis, and we're gonna jump into the scripture. The gospel of Jesus brings about compassion for the hurting, restoration for the broken, repentance for the sinner, and refreshment for all who are being saved. Amen. Uh, so do this with me. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to start doing this every week for the reading of the scripture. Uh, we're going to have it back on the screens back here. Asia's going to read it. Y'all go ahead and stand. Um, I, I believe, I, I just want to share some of my heart with you guys. I believe this is the most powerful part of the entire service. This is the most powerful part of our gathering. This is the moment where we get to read the words that God wrote to us. Isn't that amazing? And so what we're gonna do is we just wanna honor God with our posture and to take some time and reflect on his word. And so Asia's gonna read chapter three. If you want a physical Bible, there's some back at the back, there's some on the boxes there. And I wanna encourage you to bring one with you because one of the number one distractors, who knows what one of the number one distractors is to reading the Bible? A cell phone, that's right. Because we're gonna be reading, you're gonna get a text message, you're gonna jump into that text. And so this is a good time. I wanna encourage you guys, start bringing a paper Bible with you every week and I promise you, you'll, you'll be able to focus a little bit more, amen? And so I've got it up on the screens. Asia's gonna read it to us. Yo, let's, let's read this, let's look at it, let's look at it for themes, see what, what jumps out to you and then we're gonna study it together, amen? Let's do it. All right. All right. Peter and 
John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man, a man lame from birth was carried, being carried in. Each day, he was put aside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg for the, from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And Peter, Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them, eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I will give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was standing tightly, with, to pe holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter said, saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we have made this man walk by our own strength or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance, but God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen careful to everything he tells you. Then Moses says, Anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets, and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you, people of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's powerful and it's effective and God is for us. And so God, I pray that this morning you'd, you'd speak to us, you'd, you'd help us find ourselves in this text and what you're doing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, you can take a seat. You can take a seat. Um, thank you. Um, 
You know, there, there's a great philosophical work I, I read on an annual basis. Uh, it's called the Harry Potter series. And it's my junk food reading. Uh, and so sometimes I do it through audiobooks. Sometimes I, I sit there and read it. My goal uh, is, is to disconnect. This is one of the spiritual practices that I got kind of got recommended, which was having, you know, I, I just want to say this. We're going to do a whole series on spiritual practice in January. I'm working on that now. Uh, but there are so many things that we do that, that we don't recognize can build up our spirits. And, and so for me, one of the things is like I try to take an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening where I disconnect from devices. The last probably four or five months, I've done a really terrible job in the evening, but uh, I'm working back towards it, right? We're, we're all a work in progress, amen? And so th there's a character in this book named Cormac McLaggen. Everybody say Cormac McLaggen. Cormac McLaggen is the worst. Uh, he, he's the absolute worst. He's that guy. I wonder if any of you guys know someone like this who comes onto the team. So basically what happens is they're playing Quidditch, the greatest game ever invented, right? We all know this. And he comes in and like he didn't make the team and then somebody got injured and he has to come in as a sub and he comes into practice and he immediately starts telling everybody else how to do their job. Anybody know anybody like that? Couldn't possibly be anybody in the room, right? And so he's telling everybody how to do their job. He's driving Harry Potter crazy. And then they get into like the Quidditch match that he's actually in. And he's supposed to be the goalkeeper. And he ends up going to like take one of the other guys into positions bat, right? And he's trying to show him how to swing the bat. And as he does that, he smashes Harry Potter in the head. He, he crushes his skull, right? He falls off his broomstick. All this bad stuff happens. What's the moral of this? If we don't understand our place, it can bring about chaos for us and it can bring chaos for people around us, right? And I think so often what happens to us as we read the scripture is sometimes we don't properly read ourselves into the book, right? We, we don't properly understand our position. You know, earlier in my life, I would have read this and I would have seen myself as Peter and John, right? Uh, I needed to go out and I needed to reach the lost. There's a story I've told a number of times if you've been around the church about, let's, let's lower this. That's really high. Now I can see you guys. There we go. <laughs> they were like, thank you. Uh, there's a story I tell from early, the early days uh, before my faith where like I was out doing drugs with people and they'd be like, oh, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, bro, like, you got to follow God. You got to go to heaven when you die, right? That was like my whole worldview. That was, that was the like totality of like what I thought being a Christian was about, right? Has anybody else ever been in that? And so when I read this, I would have seen myself as John or Peter, but the reality is I was the cripple and I thought I was a healer. I think that what can happen to us as we come in is we, we, we might not properly name our phase of discipleship, Right? The, the truth is, is that before I actually started following Jesus, I had belief in Jesus, but I didn't have faith. That's an important distinction. I, I had belief that he was who he said he was, but I hadn't put my faith in him. I didn't trust him with my life. It didn't change anything about the way that I live. I wonder if anyone can relate to that. How, how sad is this? My inability to see my own brokenness was the very thing that was keeping me broken. This man was not mistaken. He understood his condition, but Jesus always does. This is what he did miss. Jesus always does more than we ask him for. Point number one, the gospel brings compassion for the hurting. Acts three, four through six. 
Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked up eagerly, about to get some money, right? Like he's excited. (laughs) But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Okay, so we can see in this text that this is a congenital disease. What does that mean? It means that he had it since birth. He's 40 years old and he's so badly crippled, he has to be carried anywhere he needs to go. And he's sitting beneath a beautiful 75 foot tall gate covered in Corinthian brass, okay? So Josephus said this was probably the most physically beautiful gate surrounding the temple. There were others covered in gold, others covered in silver, but the Corinthian brass gate was the most beautiful gate. And he's collecting alms. Everyone say alms. Okay, that's a way of saying he was asking for money. The giving of alms or offerings to the broken down people was something Judaism took very seriously. Uh, There's a book from the book of Tobit. It's a book of the Apocrypha, which is not something that we have in our Bibles, but I think it's something that's useful for understanding the way people viewed things back then. For almsgiving, this is what it says in in the book of Tobit 4.10. It says, for almsgiving delivers from death and keeps you from going into darkness. I think that's something that's very true. So this is something that was important for them. Uh, he asked Peter and John for money, and it says he looked in, they looked intently at him, like they gave him their full focus. He got their attention. He's excited. Money's coming. But look what it says. I don't have silver or gold for you. What I do have for you, I give. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk and look. It says Peter took the lame man by the hand, by the right hand, and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He was after provision, but God was after transformation. So many times we come to God looking for one thing and he brings us another. We want to deal with symptoms. Christ wants to deal with causes. So for me, I don't know if any other men in here will admit this. I'm the world's worst medicine taker. I didn't know you could be bad at that until I hit my 30s, okay? When I don't feel well, what do I do? Like, I got a runny nose, like I go take Benadryl, right? All that does is make me feel better for a little bit. What I should be doing is taking vitamins, right? I still, like I'm talking about it right now, I I still don't do it. And so what I've done is I've given up. I've talked to you guys about this. Uh, When I realize I'm bad at something, I give up my decision-making in that area. And Callie, what did I do? This week, I came to you. I said, I don't feel well. Uh, What should I take? Tell me exactly what to take, and I will take it. I want to deal with symptoms. Christ wants to deal with the thing that's making us sick. The gospel comes quickly and powerfully to people who understand their brokenness And and here's why I think this is. You see this all throughout the Bible. And Fitz and I were talking about this earlier. It's because people who understand they're broken don't mind being carried. But when we think we're strong, we don't want anyone to carry us. When I got saved, y'all, I'm telling you, it happened by accident, okay? Like, my mom's here. She's here this weekend. Give her a hand. Uh, She dealt with so many things. Don't ask her for any stories, okay? Um, but, but when I got saved, I, I thought my mom sent me to live with my, y'all have heard me. I'm the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I got in a little trouble. My mom got scared. She sent me to live with my auntie and uncle in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and so I thought I was going to learn how to party like normal people. Okay, I had a drug addiction. And I'm like, I'm going to get out of my environment for about a month. 
or I've noticed some people can like just drink on the weekends and they're cool. I couldn't do that, right? And so I was like, I'm going to go for a month. I'm going to kind of get my feet back under me and I'm going to get back in the party scene, right? That was my idea of what sobriety was supposed to look like. Y'all, I, I started my, my path uh, really with the wrong idea, but God met me. I wanted to deal with causes. God wanted to deal with the thing that was making me sick. I had issues, but I had no idea how good life could be if I actually submitted my life to Christ. Like if I actually let him deal with the deepest broken, the deepest brokenness that I had. And the truth is, I, I was no different from this crippled man. You know, this is the starting place for anyone on a journey of faith. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much success you have. The reality is, is that we have needs underneath our needs. Tim Keller calls it the work underneath our work. It, it, it's the thing that causes you to go for, to other things for security. And what Christ deals with is the deepest levels of brokenness we have. So let's just pause for a moment. Um, I think it's important that we self-identify. Well, again, we're going to talk about this tons in January. But, but where are you in your journey with Jesus? Are, are you in a place where you have belief but no faith? How can you tell if you have belief but no faith? The Bible says that faith is proven by our actions. And so are you a disciple of Christ? Are you an apprentice? That's the way one author says it. Are you an apprentice? Like, are you learning from Christ? Let's take a moment, identify, where are you at? Now on the other side, some of us may be in a place where we're actually doing well, like we're walking with Christ, we're healed, but are you extending your hand? Now, here, here's something I want you to notice. The power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. The power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. Yo, we can look at our world. I did it on the, on the drive-in. I saw this guy. He was standing at a gas station, shirtless, out of his mind, right? We've all seen this. And I'm like, gosh, I just, I'm driving into church. I'm just hurting for this person. Fitz and I were talking about before service. A 15-year-old kid who was a part of the Six and Gold football program a couple years ago, got taken in by foster parents last weekend. And, and they told him he couldn't do something that he wanted to do. He went and got a gun and killed both of his foster parents. You know, it's overwhelming, the issues that are in our world. And, and if we want to engage with it with compassion, it can become even more overwhelming because what's going to happen is your eyes are going to be opened at just how broken things are. Here's what I want to tell you. We are not responsible for doing the whole work of God's renewal. We're not even responsible for the results. We're responsible for doing our work. We're responsible for doing the thing that Christ has called us to do. And there's two parts of our work. Number one, we have to work on ourselves, right? Hurt people, hurt people, healed people, heal people, right? What we can see in this is Peter has had an absolute transformation in his life. So number one, we've got to work on ourselves. How do we do that? Through gatherings, through spiritual practices, through becoming more like Jesus. And number two, we have work for others so that they can come and do the same. Your compassion led Peter to meet this man's need through the power of Christ. Faith-filled Christian compassion means giving what you can, when you can, and trusting Christ to bring the power Y'all, we have some amazing ways, like amazing ways, 
like on a global scale, amazing ways to meet people's physical needs. What, what we can see in this is it, this is not saying like, hey, we can't meet people's physical needs. We, we only should meet spiritual needs, right? That's not it. We want to meet physical needs as well. Jess, do you know, Fitz, how, how much have we given away through CityServe, through the partner churches? It's 33 million in, in goods. Does that sound right? You know, in the state of Arkansas, through about 140 churches, we've been able to distribute $33 million worth of goods to people in need. I want to keep this in front of you guys. Like, we have an incredible resource. And what's happened is, is and this is only the favor of God, we have partnered with the kings and the princes of the world Amazon and Walmart and all these different companies, and they give us their return goods. We have a warehouse down behind the prison that is full of return goods that you can distribute. Listen to me. If you run into a need, Jess, how how do they do that? What's the best way? Come find Jess. The Connect card every weekend. Right in there when we have the time where you can scan the thing or there's a card in your seat. You'll let us know what the needs are because we, we have the resources to meet them. But let me, let me tell you this, I wanna make sure I drive that home. But what would be tragic, and I think this is what's happened to a lot of churches, is if we got to a place where all we could say is silver and gold I have, but I have no power. And, and, and I think what has happened in our churches is that we've gotten to a place that's like where we can meet a physical need, but we actually can't meet the spiritual need. And so something that we've got to do is we've got to continue our work of healing so that we can move in power. So number one, the gospel brings compassion for the hurting. Number two, the gospel brings restoration for the broken. Acts 3, 7 through 11, then Peter took the landman by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly, everyone say instantly, healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Now, think about this. This is a person who has never walked in his life. Like, the atrophy in his muscles, this is a total miraculous happening. He jumps up, and he began leaping and praising God, and he went into the temple with him. That's significant. We're going to talk about that in a second. All the people saw him, saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized it was the lame beggar they'd seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. And they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. The man's feet and ankles were made strong instantly, and he was able to walk for the first time in his life. Now, it says he entered the temple. Why is that significant? Crippled people were not enabled to walk into the temple. Now we read this and we can wrestle with this, right? Because it's like, oh my gosh, like there's such a lack of compassion in this. Why, why is that? It's because in the Old Testament, God was using fear, physical things to teach us spiritual truths. And so what they were doing, and the reason that they couldn't go in, is because there was no brokenness or uncleanness allowed into God's house. But listen to this, this is the grace and the glory of Jesus. Because of Jesus, the broken are made whole and invited into the holy place of God. He's overjoyed and he leaps. Look at this, Isaiah 35, verse six. The lame will leap like a deer. Those who cannot speak will sing for joy and springs will rush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. I love that. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, Notice this though, and this is where we gotta locate ourselves. 
it doesn't just meet his immediate need, it restored him for a full future in God. The gospel brings restoration, or as the old saying goes, God restores everything the devil has taken. Anybody's grandma say that? This man was utterly dependent on alms, generosity of others. He could not work. He couldn't even attend the temple. And now he can worship, he can work, and he can witness to others about the glory of God through Christ, working through Peter, This man is given new life, which is exactly what this miracle represents. What Jesus has done through Peter in this moment is what Christ aims to do in each and every person, which is to restore us to new life. So here's a question. Where has God restored you? Just take a moment and remember. Maybe even kind of mutter it to yourself. Where has God restored you? And where is he restoring you still? In some ways... I'm restored, and in some other ways, I'm still being restored. Y'all, this is a constant in the life of a believer. Notice this. In a moment, he could walk physically, but then he would have a lifetime to learn how to walk in step with Christ. This is the exact same thing for us. And we've given you this before, but the goal of the believer is to be with Jesus, to spend time with him. Through that, to become like Jesus. And then ask the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? This is the process of restoration for the completion of the believer into the glory of Christ. When God does a work in us, it's for the glory of Jesus and for the spreading of the good news about Jesus. Okay, number three, the gospel always brings glory to Jesus. Acts 3, verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity. I love that. Peter's an opportunist. Like this amazing thing happened and he's like, I see my opportunity. Okay, I'm taking it. He addresses the crowd, people of Israel, he said, what's so surprising about this and why stare at us as though we made this man walk through our own power or godliness? Yo, one of the biggest issues in the church is that we receive glory that's meant for Christ. We keep glory that we're supposed to deflect. Yo, so often I've seen this a thousand times. It happens for ministers, right? How many pastors have we seen? And we, we know. It's like you are about you, right? Like you are about building your kingdom. We can see that. I'm not trying to make it judgmental, but it's the reality. But on the other side, I have seen so many people come into church broken, get healed and made whole, and then walk away from God once they got the healing that they really came in for. Why? Because it wasn't about the glory of Christ. It wasn't about relationship with Christ. It was about themselves. Gospel work is always about the glory of Jesus. That's what God's called us to do. Let's keep going. For it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Um, You know, something that I've noticed as I've been going through this is the early church always gave glory to Jesus and never kept any for themselves. Every time, go through it and read it, every time something amazing happens, they always point it back to Christ. Um, Okay, let's go on. Next one. So the gospel always brings glory to Jesus. Number four. The gospel brings forgiveness to the unforgivable. Everybody say that with me. The gospel brings forgiveness to the unforgivable. Acts 3, 14 through 16. 
You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer, that his name was Barabbas. You killed the author of life. Let that settle in. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. I just love that. That makes me laugh every time. It's like, and you know how crippled he was before. <laughs> faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your eyes. Yo, if there was ever a verse that proves that God's goal is not to condemn you in your sin, but free you from it, this is the one. Uh, a few years ago, when Callie and I were worship leaders, we were at our Heber Springs campus, and I would always pack in like five or six people. Jacob Huggins, where are you at? This guy, Huggy Wuggy, came with me. Uh, sorry. And uh, uh, we packed into my Hyundai Accent, which I think had seats for four, and we packed like six or seven in there, right? And uh, we, we'd go up there, and I remember one time we were on the way back. Were you on this trip? Uh, th there was a, a guy who had a sign that said free puppies, all right? And so we had like four or five girls in the car, so I had to stop, right, on the way back. And so we stop, and I'm kind of talking to the guy, and he goes, you know, wh where are you coming from? And I was like, well, you know, we're, we're worship leaders, we're a worship team coming up and serving this church up in Heber Springs. He goes, oh, church, he goes, he goes, he goes I, I like church, but he's like, I can never attend one. And I was like, Why? He goes, I, I was in the war in Vietnam and the things that I did, he said, if you knew the things that I did, he goes, you'd walk away from me right now. He said, you don't want me in your church. God doesn't want me in his church. And I kind of was, I was like, yeah, he does. You know, like I didn't have a good, honestly, I didn't have a great response. And that week I was reading through the book of Acts at this time. This is probably like 2011. And I read this section of scripture I, I want to read this one more time. Uh, it says, you killed the author of life. What I wish I had been able to say is like, you may have done bad things, but you didn't kill Jesus, right? Like, are there places in, in your life where you're like that man? Like, if you're really honest, you either believe that God can't forgive you or God can't heal you. Are there any places where you have deep shame, how do you know you'll never tell anybody fully about it? You have areas of deep shame where nobody knows the fullness of your story. Y'all, we confess to God and we're forgiven, but as we confess to each other, we're healed. Is there anywhere where you don't believe God can forgive you or you've given up faith that God can heal you? Let's look at the process for doing this. Number five, it's the last thing. The gospel brings repentance and promises refreshment. Say that with me. The gospel brings us to repentance and promises us refreshment. Acts 3, 17 through 20. It says, friends, I realize what you and your friends did to Jesus was done in ignorance, but God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. You know, the longer we live, one of two things happens. Number one, the more clear our wickedness becomes to us, right? Anybody who's been living a little bit and you're very aware of your flaws? Or two, this is the dangerous one the more numb we get to our sin and wickedness. So one of two things will happen. 
you'll either become more aware of your sin and wickedness, which will make you humble, or you'll become more numb to your sin, which will make you prideful. Y'all, I want to give you some really good news. If you walked in here with guilt, hating your sin is a really good indication that the Holy Spirit is active within you. Having areas where you're like, it grieves me that I did this, or it grieves me that I responded like this, or it grieves me that I went out and acted this way. Yo, that is a good indication that the Spirit of God is working within you to his glory, to make you who he created you to be. Y'all, the gospel is this. It's that you are more wicked than you ever dare think, but you are more loved than you ever dare imagine. God loves you at your worst, and he doesn't just love you there and want to leave you there. He wants to restore you to what he's created for you to be. Um, Repentance is a word that I just think has become a bad word in our culture because some morons holding signs on the street scream at people and say, repent, you're going to hell, you're going to burn. Tell me one time where you see the call for repentance without the offer of grace. It's the grace of God. It's the kindness of God that draws a sinner to repentance. Y'all, and as you walk with Jesus, the longer you walk with him, the more you're gonna love repentance. Why? Because when we repent, we get to change. Oh, y'all, the future, it says in here, I don't have time to get into this. I hope in the coming weeks I can, but it says that Jesus is coming again. Yo, what we're doing as Christians is we're learning how to live into the kingdom that's been promised for us. What does that mean? That means right now, I don't know, even in my current state, that heaven fully wants me. You know, like it does, it's really bad theology. But what I'm saying is, is that we're gonna live in such a way that we were fully designed to live. And what we're doing as humans is we're learning to walk in that today. And what repentance is, is the key to change. It's the key to change. Y'all, change is one of the best words that we can have. On the other side of the temporary pain of honesty is the fulfilled promise of peace, healing, and refreshment. I'm gonna say that again. On the other side of the temporary pain of being honest about where you're at, repentance, is the fulfilled promise of peace, of healing, and refreshment. And you'll find that far from being condemned, you'll be saved, but you'll be saved from the very thing you're repenting of and the life and refreshment of God will come rushing in. I wanna read a quote to you. I sent it to uh, some of the men in our church. Some of you guys may have gotten this from me this week. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis. Sent it to some of the guys in my life group. Um, I I want you to read this with me. If you checked out at some point, check back in, okay? Read this with me. You don't have to read it out loud, just read it along with me. This is repentance. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing and you're not that surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts hurts abdominally and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? 
The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace and he intends to come live in it himself. Friends, God is making you a palace that he wants to fill with his goodness and fill with his presence. How does this happen? It's through our discipleship and our apprenticeship to Jesus. It's through spending time with him, letting him highlight things in us that need to change. We all need to change. Through that, becoming like him and then asking him, Jesus, if you were me, how would you live? What would you do? WWJD, am I right? (laughs) So what gave them the power? They understood that compassion flows from heaven. Restoration is a promise from God for all who are far from him. And that the invitation is to repentance, to refreshment, and in the long run, to a hope that cannot put us to shame. Amen. So I've got two questions for you as we close. Is there anything that God's been speaking to you as we've been working through this? Is there anything God's been highlighting or kind of like there's a rock you haven't been wanting to look under? You know, Hey, it, it might not even be a sin. It might be apathy. And maybe God's saying, I want to use you. The power is mine, but the hand is yours. Y'all, God has called us to reach the world we're in. So what's God speaking to you? And number two, if he's speaking, what is he asking you to do about it? Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Bronson here. I pray that this message that you just listened to helps you and assists you in your journey with Jesus. And if you want to get connected in our church, follow us on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock.